Hi again, church. Um, So the Bible reading today is from Ruth chapter 2. It would be awesome if you guys could follow along with your Bible. If anyone has forgotten or doesn't have one, there's some free Bibles at the back on the table if if you'd love to grab one. So today's reading again is from Ruth chapter 2. Ruth meets Boaz. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Limelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, she offered her some, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. 
He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kingsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Here ends reading. Well, please grab your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 2. Keep it open in front of you as we come to God's Word, as we continue this series in the book of Ruth. Uh, Next, we're going to look at Ruth 3 and Ruth chapter 4 the week after. But let's um, pray. Uh, My name's James. If you haven't met me, I'm one of the pastors here, and I've got the joy of opening up God's Word today. So let's pray as we come to a big passage, um, and let's let's ask God to help us this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray that we'll come humbly before your Word and see more gloriously who you are, the God in whom we can take refuge. Father, Lord, we pray that this morning won't just be an intellectual exercise, but not only will it shape our minds, but may it penetrate our hearts and shape how we live this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Conrad Anker is this guy that I sort of like to watch and follow. He's a famous mountain climber. Um, He's known for climbing Mount Everest. He's done peaks and he loves to climb. And now in 2008, Conrad and Jimmy Chin and another bloke decided that they wanted to conquer this peak in India. Um, It's called Mount Maru um, and it's called the Shark's Fin. They want to be the first people to get the Guinness World Record of being the first people to climb this peak. Now, it just blows my mind what humanity can do and what Conrad and these men can do. In 2008, they set out to achieve trying to conquer this mountain. 2008, they didn't quite do it. They came back in 2011 and they did it. And it took them 12 days to climb this peak. They started like 20,000 feet above sea level. Now, have you ever thought about being on a mountain for 12 days? It means you can't come back down to go to sleep. So what they do is they sleep in a porter ledge. Now you can see it there, like they, they put a few, na- like more than nails, they put a few anchors in the rock and they have this tent that's called a porter ledge in which they take refuge. It's a place as they climb up and, and work out where they're going. Every day they return back down to this porter ledge a place that they return to for safety, for provision and for refuge. See, in 2008, the reason they didn't quite get there was that for four days, they had to stay and take refuge in their porter lodge for four days because of the blizzard. They did not move for four days and they stayed there. But they climb up and they to return and they return to the portal ledge for provision, safety and to take refuge every night. In a way they climb up, they move it up a bit and eventually they get there. So the portal ledge was a place in which they returned to to take refuge. Now I look around the room and I don't see too many of us planning to, to, to climb Mount Everest or, or to do those kind of things. But I think just like Conrad and Anchor and Jimmy Chin, as they return and take refuge in their portal ledge, I think we all have portal ledges in our life. Things in which we return to to take refuge in. What, what is that for you? What is that one thing or those couple of things that you return to constantly as your safe place? 
a place when you are emptied and worn out, a place that you return to to find security and ease and comfort and safety. You know, you might be a teenager and, and it's as you get home after a day of school and you're just, you're zonked. It could be your refuge place could be just your room and the colours and the things that are around you. For others, it could be a pet, a, a dog. A dog is just loyal to the core. No matter what kind of day, no matter how empty you are, it is there. It's a safe place. For others, your refuge could be your job. It could be a place where you accomplish things. You're just busy. You work really hard. You accomplish many things. You make it look really good. And that's the place in which you find in your emptiness a place where you have meaning and purpose. You know, I don't know, but maybe it's the fridge. You go and get that ice cream or that chocolate. Or it could be the movies or Netflix. Or maybe as you've got older, heading towards the end of your life, you know, it's 50 years in that one home with your garden and your chairs and your plants and your pets. And the thought of going to a retirement village or 24-hour care petrifies you because your house is a place of refuge. Where, where do you return to? Where do you return to in your emptiness to find refuge? Where do you go when there's nowhere else to turn? Where is it when all else is lost and you feel hopelessly powerless and empty to the core? Where do you return in your emptiness to find refuge? See, as we come to today's passage, Naomi and Ruth are empty. Naomi is empty and very, very bitter with life. Last week we saw that at the beginning of chapter 1 she was full, but by the end she was empty. Last week we encountered in Ruth chapter 1, we encountered this family, Elimelech and Naomi and his two sons. We encountered them that they had everything except there was a famine. And so Elimelech, which actually means God is my king, he decides, well, I'm going to head east And in a way, God's no longer my king and I'm going to head east and go to Moab just for a few years to just get a bit of help. He turns up to Moab and and he starts to actually go, I kind of like it. And his sons, they settle in, he settles in and they find Moabite women. They obviously take on the culture of the Moabite people and life's going pretty well because Naomi's got two sons and they've got two daughters. Things are looking up for them. And then... Elimelech dies, the two sons die, and Naomi is left in a foreign country with just two daughters-in-law. And, and her only option in her emptiness is she just sort of hears, just hears in the grapevine that the famine in Israel has been broken. And so she thinks, where am I going to turn to now? Where am I going to go? And so she decides, I'm going to head back to Israel and just, just maybe just play my cards and hope something goes right. And, and she she. She goes back, but the two daughter-in-laws come and she says, no, 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 stay, don't stay, stay where you are. One decides, yeah, I'm going to, and the other one, Ruth says, and we see in verse 16 of chapter one, we see a beautiful thing where Ruth says, no, no, where you go, I will go. I will die where you will die. Your God will be my God. I, and, and what Ruth is powerfully saying is, I'm going to say goodbye to the Melbourne and I'm going to come with you, Naomi. And we get to the end of chapter one and we hear that Naomi comes to Bethlehem and she says, call me Mara, I am very bitter. Can you imagine the scene? Like, we're not living in Sydney at Bethlehem. You're living in a village. And she walks and comes home. And you can imagine the village people. Maybe there's a bit of gossip. Like, who's this walking down the street? Who's she with? By Joe, that's Naomi. She's aged. She's 
where's, where's the sons? And, 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 and it gets around the town really quick and there's this sense of, and she's bitter too. And she's come back with a Moabite woman. What's, what's happened? And so we get to chapter two and nothing's changed. And where do you return in your emptiness to find refuge? Because see, at this point in chapter two, Naomi is very bitter. And I wonder, have you ever thought about what it's like? Or maybe you've experienced what it's like to live with a bitter person. It's not easy to go, say to your husband, I'm going off to church today and they're really bitter with church life. So they're not going to come out or to have a bitter bitter wife where everything in the world's gone wrong. And so she blames everyone else and it's just a really bitter place to be. It's not exactly the most friendly family environment to be around. And yet what we see with Ruth is just unconditional love for her mother-in-law, Naomi. But she takes action. So where do you return to in your emptiness to find refuge? Well, let's set the scene first. Let's set the scene. And we're going to see in this this scene to begin with in verses 1 to 7, we're going to to encounter a man called Boaz who is a godly man. Have a look at verse 1 there. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. Now, the thing about the book of Ruth is it's one of the most incredibly written pieces of literature in the world. This author who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's an incredible bit of literature because he knows how to write. Because verse 1, it's like, a new character is introduced, but then we move on. He, he just gives us a little taste of this man called Boaz, who's a clan of the Imelech. And you think, oh, and verse 2, we just move on. We get a taster, but now we move straight into verse 2. Have a look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. There's three things here I've noticed in verse 2. And the first thing is, we straight away see the word favour. Now, favour equals grace. Now, it's not the idea of when sometimes we think of favour, like we'll favour a child over another because they've, they've done more, you know, like, or you favour that person because they've achieved more things in life. No, no, the word favour here is grace. It's undeserved gift. That's the first thing we see. She's going to go and hopefully receive grace. But secondly, I think Ruth must know a little bit of the Old Testament because as you read this, you need to know Deuteronomy, you need to know Leviticus. And, and have a listen to this in the book of Leviticus chapter 19 about providing for the widow and for the, for the foreigner, for the poor. In, in Leviticus 19, it says this in verses 9 to 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings, like the, left, the stuff that just falls around. Don't gather that. Don't go over your vineyard a second time. Like, Don't go back and pick up the extras so you have more in the bank account. But leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am Yahweh, your God. I am the Lord, your God. See, she knows the provision of God for widows and for the foreigners. But thirdly, we need to remember that the book of Ruth is set in the days of Judges. Now, the book of Judges, go and read Judges 19. It's It's in the days where there was no king and everyone did as they saw fit. There was incredible evil in the land of Israel at this time. Men and women weren't living for God. They're doing wicked things. And so really, in a sense, Ruth knows if you go out, she may not be allowed to glean. And we get to verse 2. 
the, the rest of verse two, and Naomi said to her, now, can you just sort of picture Naomi here? Just maybe she's sitting on a lazy boy. Maybe she's sitting at the kitchen table at breakfast and they haven't had much to eat. And she's like, Ruth, do what you want. Just go and have a crack. <laughs> she's bitter. Nothing's gonna work out for us. Go and, go, go and have a go at least. Go ahead, my daughter. And the author goes to great lengths, I think, here to, to tell us, right? We know Ruth is a Moabite. We know that from chapter one. But over and over again, verse six, verse two, verse 21, verse later on, you notice it said foreigner. It's going to such great lengths for you to know again and again, Ruth is a Moabite. And you know what it means to be a Moabite? It's not a good thing in the land of Israel. It's not a good thing to be heading out into, a, into the fields as a female. It's not the most sensible thing to do, and yet Ruth doesn't sit back. Here's a couple of reasons why Moabites don't go down too well in the, in the country of Israel. There's, I'll give you three. There's about five or six. The first one is, the first reason is, well, you, you don't want to go on Ancestry.com if you're a Moabite. Because what you're going to find is that you come from an incestuous relationship between drunk Lot and his daughters. It's known. Secondly, we read about how the, the Moabite women came and seduced the men of Israel and then the men of Israel were punished for it. We, last week, RJ reminded us that, that they faced the oppression under the king Eglon, who was a Moabite. And so at this point, right, if you're a Moabite and you're known as a Moabite, it, it's not going too well for you. And so Ruth heads out as a Moabite to glean the fields. Now, to glean the fields, it's to go and pick up grain. It's not exactly the most easiest of jobs. It's not a job of status. It's really, you're going out to scab, just a bit of grain. Maybe today, now I, I know probably plenty of us do this, but we're doing it for our kids for pocket money or, or you're just doing it because you wanna be good for the environment, you know, and you collect the 10 cent cans and the bottles and we go and do it and we cash it in and we spend it. But when we were on, on holidays last year at Hastings Point, every morning there was this elderly lady who was dressed in rags with a walker and with shopping bags and before the sun came up, she was going through the bins to find bottles. Not just for a bit of pocket money, but just to put bread on her table at night. That's what Ruth's doing. Ruth's just trying to just make by. And we get to verse three though, right? And so, so she went out and she the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Wow, here's Boaz, all of a sudden he pops back in. But as it turned out, now in the Hebrew, it's like it just chanced to be chanced it. Like it, it does it twice. Now, luck would have it that she ends up in a field with Boaz. Now, Luck would have it. Now, this isn't just a coincidence. The author wants you to realise here is the providential hand of God, right? Ruth hasn't ended up in any old field. She's ended up in the field of Boaz by God's hand. She's caught up here and we get to taste and we start to get a taste early on the character of this man called Boaz. Have a look. He's the kind of boss that you want to have. 
He loves his workers. They love him. You know, you can, and, and it happens to be the day that Boaz turns up. He gets in his 200 series Land Cruiser or Lexus and he rocks up, he pulls up and he's, well, and he's a man of power, wealth and status in this community. And he turns up and Ruth just happens to be here this day. But he's a cool boss, isn't he? He, he says hello to his workers. Yahweh bless you. They say bless him. Now we're getting an idea that there's actually a really good relationship here. And by him even using the word the Lord, it tells you that He's a Yahweh follower. He's a man of God. And his character comes out even more as we read it, as it progressed. And, and we have this incredible image where Boaz is talking with the workers and group, and then he goes, hmm, who's that young woman over there? Now, it's, I don't think it's a, hello, who's that over there? It's, it's not a, I don't think it's a romantic kind of look. And it tells us that because I think, why am I convinced that? Because he asks not who she is, but who does she belong to? That's an identity question. That's a clan question. That's a tribe. What tribe? Where's she come from? Like probably Moabite women probably looked a little bit different to Israelite women, maybe. And, and he's like, well, who does she belong to? That's interesting. She's a Moabite. Unlike her mother-in-law who's sitting back, hoping that it's all just going to come to her. Ruth has taken a step out and just goes... Take a step of faith. If God says he will provide, I'm going to take it out and see what happens. And Naomi and Ruth, they say they return to Bethlehem because they've heard that the famine had broken. And see so what happens next now, in our next four points, what happens next, I think should stir our emotions. It might even bring a tear to your eyes as we really think about what has taken place next. Where do you return in your emptiness to find refuge? Where did Ruth find? What did Ruth find in Boaz? Well, here's four things that she finds in Boaz. The first thing she finds is ease and security. She finds ease and security. Have a look at verse eight. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. See, Boaz knows the days that they're living in. It's the days of evil. It's the days when no king is, is here and, and, no one, and Israel men are just doing whatever they want. Stay here with the women. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along with the other women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. See, here in this moment, Boaz is offering ease and security. He says to the men, right? Don't physically touch her. Don't go further. She, you're safe here, Ruth. But I think it's even more than that. And not even it's just physical, but we can do a lot of hurt with words or looks or expressions, can't we? At a distance, Ruth is away. You go, oh, look at that Moabite woman coming here to scab. Or, or look at that Moabite. Look at those people group. Now, I think what Boaz is saying, no, no, the men aren't going to touch you. They're not going to say anything. You are safe and secure while you are here. See, are you reminded now of the gravity of what Boaz is actually doing? Because Ruth again reminds him, well, I'm a foreigner. In this godly man, she finds ease and security. Have a look at verse 13. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease. She comes and she's at ease. See, this is a man with power, 
wealth and status. Now, our world, you imagine what they, what's our world talk about things like that? So they say that's bad and, and, and let's be true, people have abused that. But actually here we see a godly man who has power, wealth and status who is providing security and ease. He's a real man. And in that, Ruth finds ease and security and protection, a safe place. And I wonder if you're here today and you're looking for ease and security. Maybe life is just spiralling out of control and you're just, where can that, where can there be a place to be a foreigner in a really random place? Well, hopefully the church is a place where you can find ease and security. But ultimately, hopefully you can actually see that it's actually ultimately in God in which you can find ease and security. Because not only do we find that here, we also find incredible provision. That's point two, right? We find incredible provision. Did you notice that? Now, you and me, we don't generally have to worry about the food we put on our tables. We don't have to worry about our next meals, where it's coming from. Even though interest rates are going up, you'll still go to your fridge five times a day and you'll find something there to eat or your pantry. And so for us, it's hard for us to picture that Naomi and and Ruth are probably just sitting at the table wondering where's our next lot of food coming from. And we see this incredible provision by Boaz. Did you see that verse 8 and 9? He says, come and glean. You can come and, and take and keep coming back. So we see this incredible provision of food, grain, like get some grain, get as much as you want, as much as you can work for. But then also, she gets to join the workers for lunch and she eats way too much, but she's fully satisfied and there's food to go in her pockets to take home. There's leftovers and it's roasted grain. Like, how good's that? Now, I don't know whether roasted grain, it must be good. It's probably like oysters. Now, you wouldn't want to put oysters in your pocket to take home later because probably, you'd probably die unless you've got iron guts. But, you know, it's, it's obviously pretty cool to get roasted grain. And, and so she gets it, like, look at the incredible provision. And then later on in verses 15 to 17, now Boaz says, stay. I'm not just going to let you just glean and scab off the ground. We'll just pull, occasionally pull out a sheath and you can take that and keep coming back day after day after day. She takes so much food home on the first day that it's like seven weeks worth of food and grain. Incredible provision. And unlike her father-in-law, Imimelech, who went east away from Yahweh as king, Ruth and Naomi, they return in their emptiness and look what they find in God. So I think for us, because we can go to the fridge five times a day, we've forgotten the provision of God in our lives every day, the food that we eat, that God is actually at work in creation and, and he, he's purposing things for his glory and for his end purposes. And yet we forget the daily provision of just what we have on our table. Because we live in a Western culture where you just go to Woolies and you just get it, you buy it and, and you have it. But I wonder, have we forgotten the provision of food and work and money? And, and, and maybe it's a wonderful thing for us to give thanks, to stop and give thanks for what we have in front of us. Because see here, it's a reminder, the food in front of us is just a reminder of the incredible provision of God in our lives and especially in Jesus. But we also see here that Ruth didn't only just find incredible provision, she found something else as well. She found honour, respect and identity. Did you notice that? See, in Boaz, Ruth finds a sense of dignity and worth. See, what Boaz does is above and beyond anything he actually has to do. 
above the law. He shows compassion, generosity, and acceptance. So he shows her and this foreign woman who's on the edge, who's, who's nobody to the people of Israel, and he brings her in and respects her and shows her identity and, and gives her worth. Now, you probably, as already alluded, I've been away for a couple of weeks um, overseas and, I, and I've come back. But on the way over, um, we flew from Sydney to, we left at 6am, so we flew from Sydney to Dubai. We had a night in Dubai and then we flew from Dubai to Athens. Now, I, um, I flew economy. That's what the tickets were with Emirates. And you, can I tell you, you know when you're flying economy because there's no leg room um, and you've got to sit in the gate while all those pesky business class and first class have to walk past you. You know they have status, you know they have wealth, they have power, and they're dressed for business class, they're dressed for first class, and they just walk past you. So no, you work it, you go to the gate, you don't want to get there too early because you know your status, you're an economy. You get the, the food, look, it's not bad, but it's got a tin foil over it. <laughs> and you get the water, and, it's, and, and you only get served once or twice. And, 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 but those business class people, they get a three-course dinner, and they get a drink straight away, they get blankets, and it's an incredible experience. And you have to sit there while they go on, and then also I've realised you've got to wait while they come off before you can unload. And so you really know your position when you're sitting at an airport, right? You feel it. I felt it as an economy. It's like, man, I wish I was in business class. Like, I realised my place. I'm, I'm a pleb. I'm, you know, I didn't have much status. But... Unknown to me, on the, on the, once from Dubai to, um, Dubai to Athens, I, I, t- I turn up a little bit, I turn up to the gate because you don't want to get there too early. In Dubai, you've got to check it. You've got to, you know, well, actually, in check-in, it's even worse, isn't it? Business class can take their luggage straight there and you've got to wait three hours in the line to get to check-in. That's even worse. So we've done that and I turn up to the gate and I have aisle rows. I demand an aisle row because of my length. And so I, I, I had it on my ticket and I give my ticket and she gives it back. She rips it and gives me back another ticket. I go, no, sorry, ma'am, I want that seat. She said, no, you don't. And she passed me a new ticket and it was business class. Now, didn't that change everything? You'll see a photo here in a second. You bring the photo up. Now, that meant I was on tour with 35 other people. I was on tour with 35 other people and you get the call. We're ready to board, EK, da 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 And business, first class, we're welcoming first class and business class. And guess what I did in my jeans and my T-shirt? I hopped up and walked past everyone, straight in, <laughs> drinks, food, and you get a three-course meal. That's duck of it. Like, this is duck. That's chocolate cake. Like, I knew I was in my element. Like, I felt this is what it is to have power, status, and wealth. And I got to get off before the economy. And so I had to wait 20 minutes for all the economy people to come off and to keep going my way. But do you get a sense of what it actually was like for Ruth? So everyone else was the, the business class. But here, she was economy. Like Ruth knew the customs of that day. And the custom of that day was she kept her distance at lunch. She was not welcomed in at all. The bread that was prepared, it was for the workers, for the classy people, not for her. The wine vinegar was an hors d'oeuvre that was status and position, not for her. The roast to grain was an incredible banquet. And what does Boaz do? He says, Ruth, come over and join us and eat. See, it's respect, honour and identity. See, imagine how Ruth would have felt in that moment. She's got a dead father-in-law, a dead husband. She's got no kids. She's living with a bitter mum. She's left her home, her land. She's left her gods and she's come to take refuge in Naomi's God and look what she finds. Honour, respect and identity. 
But unknown to Ruth, she has actually found more than that. She doesn't know it yet because she's actually found a redeemer. That's our fourth thing we find in Boaz. As they come to take refuge, she finds Boaz. She returns home, right? You can imagine it. She's full of grain. She's got holding it like this is kilos and kilos of grain. It's left over. And Naomi, right? At this point, Naomi's like, she takes a note. Whoa, where have you been? Like this man is so generous. Wow, what have you done? And instantly Naomi knows that this is above and beyond. And she says, praise be to the man who's given me this stuff. They're so kind to us today. Because Naomi knows they don't deserve it. Because they've gone along, she walked, they walked away from God. Like all of us have walked away from God. She didn't deserve this kind of love and kindness. And Naomi describes this kindness in verse 20. The Lord bless him, right? Naomi said to her daughter, he has not stopped showing his kindness. Now that's the Hebrew word that it's called hesed. Now the word hesed has an incredible range of meaning that we actually haven't got an English word that encaptures all of it. And so we often just translate it kindness, steadfast kindness, loving kindness, that kind of stuff. We don't have a word that encapsulates it, but here's some of the idea of it. Love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, loyalty, covenant faithfulness. And Naomi in the midst of her bitterness, as she lifts her eyes up and sees, Naomi, sees Ruth walking towards her with this unbelievable amount of grain, in that moment, she starts to see that hesed love. And we start to feel a shift in Naomi's attitude. She seems to be turning from bitterness to that there's hope on her horizon. And Naomi gets a bit excited, right? She's getting excited at this moment. Ruth, do you know what though? You know what else Boaz is? He's our family redeemer. He's one of those who is meant to be a redeemer in our family. Ruth likes, wow, mum. He's even asked me to keep coming back day after day after day after day. And Naomi, she's a bit smart here at this point. She's like, yeah, that's probably a wise thing for you, Ruth. You should go back every day. I think Naomi's got a bit of a plan. Ruth doesn't probably know it yet. But here it is, if you're here today and you're very bitter or maybe you're sour with the way that life has played out with the cards that have been dealt in the sense of, of how your life has gone and you think, man, and, and you're here in this moment really bitter or you feel like your needs just haven't been met. We see here in Ruth, uh, in this chapter, I think we see a, 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 an example of us of the remedy for a, for a bitter heart. That in the midst of our distress, in the midst as we look around in our world, it seems empty and chaotic, that we are to stop and to ponder on God's amazing grace and favour of his covenant faithfulness to his people, shown towards us and the Israelites. See, it wasn't until she lifted her eyes to see the bigger picture because see, the remedy it's, it's for us is to stop and to look to the cross of Christ because it's at the cross of Christ that we actually see God's costly answer to our even deeper need than food. Our even deeper need of a husband or a wife or a relationship or a job. We look to the cross and we see God's costly answer to our biggest need ever. And it's, and it's in this that we will be not so quick to doubt or to trust that God will provide for our needs. 
In a way, it's like being married. Is it in sickness and in health, in better or for worse? God is at work in that and we look and we're reminded of his chesed love. And it's through all of this that we're seeing at this point that Naomi and Ruth went through this journey of going away and coming back. What we see is the beautiful hand of the providence of God. See, God created the universe, but he's not stepped back. He's actually at work in the universe. And what is he doing? He's got an end in mind and he's making that happen for us. And that end in mind ultimately is for us to delight in Jesus. See, that's the providence. The providence of God in work in our lives is leading us to Christ to take refuge in God. And here we have a redeemer, a kingsman redeemer by the providence of God here in front of Ruth and Naomi in this passage. Now, a kingsman redeemer is concerned with the responsibility and the welfare and the economic and the relationships of the family. And I'm going to leave it there, right? Because you've got to come back next week for Ruth chapter 3. And so we're not going to talk more about this Redeemer. You need to come back next week to find out more about this Redeemer, to come back next week and to hear more. Because Ruth chapter 2 does leave you and me hanging. Did you notice it? Great literature, great writer, leaves you hanging because like what's going to happen next? What will happen with Boaz? What will happen with Naomi? What will happen with Ruth? What will she find? But see, as these two, they came back and returned in their emptiness, what did they find? Well, Ruth found four things, ease and security. Incredible, satisfying provision, honour, respect, identity, and she found a redeemer. So where do you return to? Where do you return to in your emptiness to find refuge? In returning to Yahweh, in returning to God, in returning to Jesus, I think this picture gives us a glimpse that you will find true security. You'll find satisfaction, provision, and you'll find identity and an amazing redeemer. See, the book of Ruth, it's, you know, we, we, we encounter a new character like Boaz. And in a way, like RJ mentioned last week, there's things that we can learn from Ruth, there's things we can learn from Boaz, there's things that we can learn about being godly people. But ultimately, it's, the Ruth story is much bigger than that. It's so much bigger. It points to something even greater. Did you notice these things about Boaz? Have a listen to this. He provided water and food to a foreigner who was a Moabite. Boaz provided security and ease for women. He fed his workers and Ruth, not the scraps, but gave them food until they were fully satisfied and she had more to take home. Does that remind you of anyone? Does it remind you of someone? In the Gospel of John, Jesus just happens to go via the well in Samaria where a Samaritan woman comes and takes water and she's had five husbands and Jesus says to her, drink my water and you will never, ever thirst again. <laughs> he, he, he crosses over the Sea of Galilee and there's people coming to listen to him preach. There's 5,000 men there. There's probably 20,000 people and Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds over 20,000 people. They're fully satisfied and there's 12 baskets left over. Jesus is in the temple court in John 8 and those religious leaders, the ones who are morally upright and who think they're the righteous people, they bring a woman who committed adultery and they drag her into the temple court and ask Jesus, should we stone her to death? The law requires that. And what does Jesus say there in front of that woman and the crowd? He says to the crowd, he says, let any one of you who is without sin 
be the first to throw it. And they all leave. Bar Jesus, who has the rights. And yet what does he do? He takes that punishment and he goes to the cross for that woman. And in Jesus, she finds ease and security and comfort. But ultimately, she finds a redeemer who, who comes to take who comes and takes us, in whom we find refuge in. Do you notice the language there that, that Ruth came and found refuge under the wings of Almighty God and we too come under Jesus and it's in Him that we take refuge. See, His wings cover us as the wrath of God is poured down on His Son instead of you and for me. He protects us. He redeems us. He pays for us our sins so that we can be forgiven. And so it's in Jesus that you and me are to return to. We are to be there and to take refuge in him. Where do you return to? <clears throat> Where do you go to in your emptiness to find refuge today? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You're checking us out or you're wondering to know more. Maybe you've been dragged along. Maybe you're wondering who this Jesus is. Can I just encourage you that Ruth chapter 2 is actually a picture for you of what's in store if you return to Jesus. If you come and find refuge in Jesus, here's a picture of what you'll receive. And how do you receive it? It's repentance and faith. It's to, it's to change your mind. See, Ruth, you notice that Ruth does that? She returns. She turns around, goes away from the Moabite gods, and she comes to God. She steps out in faith. She just trusts the word of God and we, to be a Christian, is we just trust that Jesus is the son of God. That through his life, death and resurrection, we can find redemption and forgiveness. So that's what you get if you come to Jesus. But it's also a picture, I think, for us as a church of what the foreigner who steps in through our doors who does not yet know Jesus should expect. That they should expect from us these things that Boaz shows. But ultimately, where do you return in your emptiness to find refuge. Every day we return to Jesus because in Jesus you'll find true security, true provision and an amazing redeemer. It's in him we find that. So that Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says these words. This is for us. He says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, we are the Moabites, by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised. Remember that at that time, you too were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, see, but now for us, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in you we can take refuge. And so, Father, today may we take refuge in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in our emptiness and in our bitterness, we often turn to the wrong places. We turn to the fridge, we turn to our jobs, we can take it out on others. But, Father, I pray that for us today that knowing a little bit more of a glimpse of who you are and your hesed love for us, that we will just rest and lean and take refuge in you today. Father, we don't know how long we will wait sometimes of when life circumstances will change. But Father, as we read Ruth, we're reminded that your providential hand brought about our Lord Jesus Christ.
And it's to that ends and means in which you are leading us to. And so, Father, we pray that you'll do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.